Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. So, I love this Parsha. I love this whole section of readings for this week, uh, partially because um, last year I had been looking at them and had taught on them last year. And a lot of that I'm bringing over into this year with a little bit of a change, just because there's some newer things I've seen this year. But I love that the relationship between Pharaoh and Joseph and their relationship with God um, is, can be seen in other parts of Scripture and what they're doing, um, not just with each other, but with the people around them. Can all, that relationship can be seen elsewhere in Scripture and in our own lives. And so the um, biggest thing that stands out to me in this week's Parsha is the idea of finding answers, uh, humility and honor, but the biggest one is where are we looking to answers and where are we finding uh, the answers? And so I'm going to read Genesis uh, 41, 8 through 16, uh, the, towards the beginning of Miketz. But in the morning he was disturbed in his spirit. This is Pharaoh, right after his dream. So he sent and called for the fortune-telling priests of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief of the cupbearers spoke with Pharaoh, saying, I am reminded of my sins today. Pharaoh had been angry with his servants and put me in the custody of the house of the commander of the bodyguards, me and the chief of the bakers. Then we each dreamed a dream on the same night. He and I, we both dreamed, yet each dream had its own interpretation. Now there with us was a Hebrew youth, a slave belonging to the commander of the bodyguards. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams for us. Each man's dream he interpreted. Then it came about just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. Me, he restored me to my position, but him, he hung. After reading this, part of me wonders, why were they in trouble? The two people in the kitchen were in trouble with Pharaoh. And I'm not sure if it was bad wine or bad cooking, but it makes for an interesting thought. It's always something about food in Scripture. I mean, the first sin is about food in, in Scripture. So the, I don't, there's something about eating that gets people in trouble, especially human beings. It, it, that will get you in trouble, but we're talking more about, you know, follow the Christmas rules and you will get in trouble. That's, um, so anyway, and then, you know, I was looking through Proverbs and because I'm reminded, you know, who is, what is Pharaoh? Pharaoh is a king, and he's here listening to his servant, you know, in 14 through 16. And then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. So they quickly fetched him from the pit. He shaved and changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I dreamed a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. I heard about you. It said that you can listen to a dream to interpret it. Then Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not within me. God will answer with shalom, with peace for Pharaoh. Um, you know, prison systems today are pretty nice, it sounds like, compared to a pit. I don't know if that's allegorical or not, but they pulled him out and had to get him dressed and shave him. So he probably wasn't in a, probably wasn't in a, what we would call a four-walled building, maybe more like a sukkah under the ground. And so 
You know, he calls for Joseph and sends for him. He's looking for an answer, which reminds me of Proverbs 25. And so, you know, we read in the very beginning of 25, in verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and the glory of kings to search it out. And, you know, dreams are kind of concealing because they're mysterious to us, and that sometimes they don't always mean literally what comes about during our dreams. If it did, we would have some very real, rea- interesting realities if our dreams came true in regards to what we were dreaming while sleeping. A lot of us have dreams and goals, and those are nice, but some of the dreams and some of the nightmares that I know I have, and I'm sure that you have, I wouldn't want to play out in real life. And so dreams are a mystery, and the sages say that you know a dream that goes uninterpreted is like a letter that never reaches its destination. And, you know, rabbis have all sorts of ways of going about, you know, how you're to approach a dream, how you're to come to friends and talk about dreams and pray over it and see, you know, what does it mean? Does it even have meaning? But Pharaoh, Pharaoh didn't have the sages to say that. So I think Pharaoh deserves a little bit of honor, a little bit of glory. You know, like it says here, it is the glory of kings to seek out a matter. And he is taking upon himself the mantle to search out something that has troubled him. Um, and so... Uh, and then in the later portion, portion of Proverbs 25, and starting in verse 6, you read through 7, Do not honor yourself in the king's presence, and do not stand in the place of great men. Better for him to say to you, come up here, than for you to be humiliated before a nobleman. And what did Pharaoh just do with Joseph? Not only does Pharaoh get some glory for seeking out a matter, but he calls Joseph up. Literally, I mean, they, they pull him out of the ground, from what it sounds like in the text, up to the court of Pharaoh. You know, Yeshua teaches this as well. He teaches us in Luke 14, you know, not to honor ourselves, not to be looking to elevate ourselves. In 14.10, Yeshua tells us, but when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest seat, so that when the one who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you shall be honored in the presence of all of those who are dining with you. And Joseph is exalted before the entire kingdom of Egypt, which for then is almost the known world. It's the, one of the most powerful kingdoms that exists in the day. He's made second in command. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And I find it interesting, at the end of Luke 14, we read about, you know, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, And I think sometimes, even if you are humbled, and you don't necessarily take it upon yourself to humble yourself, you still, if you are humbled, but then repent later, you can still be honored and exalted. Um, You know, part of the reason I think this is because of how Joseph's story goes about when we read about him telling his family his dreams, it almost comes with an air of haughtiness. It doesn't say it outright, but the way his family responds seems like they're not too pleased with it. And he seems to be not too humble about it either. It's not like he hides it or doesn't go out of his way to not say it. He actually comes uh, to tell them these things. But then he is brought into Egypt. He's made a slave in Egypt. He's a Hebrew slave, and the Egyptians did not like Hebrews. Uh, They didn't like people who shepherded livestock, and that's what the Hebrews were known for. The Egyptians had these, you know, 
monolithic agricultural systems that came out of having the Nile coming through the center of their kingdom. And so, you know, shepherding things and traveling with large packs of animals was viewed as low to them. Uh, and so, you know, Joseph is viewed not only low as a slave, but he's viewed low because of, you know, who he is, his, his family background, his ethnic background. And so, you know, Joseph's Jacob even rebukes him about over his dreams. And so it's almost as if his experience in Egypt humbles him through, you know, but then he's exalted in Potiphar's house. He's brought down again, and then he's brought up again and exalted because he took no pride in Potiphar's house. You know, he humbled himself and ran away, fleed even leaving his garment behind to flee sin. He humbled himself and his behavior, and he was exalted before all of Egypt. And back in Luke, on 12 through 14, in chapter 14, Uh, then Yeshua was also saying to the one who invited him, when you host a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they might invite you in return as your payback. But when you host a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed since they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so kind of like in Proverbs 25, I think it's interesting that Joseph and Pharaoh almost share these two passages. You know, at the beginning of Proverbs 25, Pharaoh is the one who is seeking the matter to be, you know, and not seeking glory, but he's searching it out uh, to, to find an answer. You know, and then Joseph is the one not exalting himself, but being brought out. And then in the first part of Luke 14, Joseph is the one who is humbled. You know, he's in prison, he's a slave, and then he's brought up to be exalted. And then the second part, that I just read from Luke 14, Pharaoh is the one inviting the poor, you know, the beggar, you know, the one who is lowly. You know, Yeshua tells us about, you know, those who care for the lowly and those who need clothing and food. And so I think I love this so much because in Exodus, Pharaoh or the Pharaoh in Exodus is so much the bad guy and gets a very bad rap when we're talking about scripture and Israel. But in this story, I think Pharaoh deserves a little, a little grace on our end. He is, um, I would call these signs of godliness. You know, these are, these are the signs of what a righteous person would do. Seeking wisdom from above as an answer, and then reaching out to those who are even below you. Even how he treats his servants. He treats the cupbearer Again, I don't know why the baker was executed. He must have done something bad enough to get executed just because of how we're seeing Pharaoh's character here. It doesn't seem he would have lashed out in anger at a burnt biscuit. It just doesn't uh, read. Whereas, you know, if the cupbearer says, you know, Pharaoh, I have remembered something um, or I'm choosing to remember something now, and I'll get to that later. Um, actually, I'll get to it now. I, I think the way it reads... It doesn't read in last week's Parsha that the cupbearer just forgot. Like, oh, I'm so excited to be out of prison. I'm just going to forget. Because who forgets your dream being interpreted by someone, by a perfect stranger you met by chance in prison, and now you're back restored to where you are? I think the way it reads, and this is just my opinion, is that the cupbearer forgot on purpose. 
because Joseph was a Hebrew. Uh, you know, this is why I, I, find, I find it so amazing that Joseph was brought up into the court, was exalted in the courts of Pharaoh, because Pharaoh in Egypt was seen as a god, or at least the descendant of a god. And Joseph, you know, his people are looked down upon, uh, and they're uh, not liked by Egypt. So to be invited into the court, placed in second in command of the entire kingdom of Egypt, and then, you know, leads Egypt to salvation, you know, that's almost unheard of. You know, most of us don't think of people who we dislike coming up into a place of honor or a position of honor to lead a country to, you know, to salvation, to its continuing to live on and in prosperity. I mean, they, 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 they were able to, through Joseph, save enough food to not only save the country of Egypt, but to save the surrounding world who came to them to buy food. And so it is my opinion that the cupbearer simply chose to forget Joseph until uh, Pharaoh made mention of a dream, but my opinion only, and that can be debated. <laughs> and so, you know, my big question from uh, this, or one of my big questions is, you know, how do we treat those who we are looking to identify our problem, if we have a problem, and to give us an answer and a resolution? Uh, because a lot of times we end up looking to other people to not only help us identify what our issue is, but what the answer is, and to help us interpret, you know, what do we have going on, and how can I, how can I resolve this? You know, I think Pharaoh does this well. You know, uh, even with his wise men who can't answer his dream, you know, he doesn't, you know, yell at them to get out, you know, I'm going to have you all killed. Because, well, his character throughout the rest of the text proves that he's not the kind of person to uh, lash out angrily. And so I think Pharaoh does this well. Do we have another similar story? And you can yell this out if you know it. Do we have another similar story to this in scripture? Where is that? Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, the story of Daniel. So we have two stories. You know, we have two righteous men, you know, kidnapped, taken away by a pagan nation, you know, who choose to act righteously uh, whether they're by themselves or with their friends. You know, Daniel has friends that he can pray with and that he does pray with um, you know, over the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And so comparing Pharaoh to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, my question I wanted to ask was how does Nebuchadnezzar uh, deal with seeking answers when he's not getting uh, the answer that he wants right away? So I wanted to read Daniel 2. One through five. So Daniel two. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. His spirit was troubled and sleep escaped him. So the king issued an order to summon the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, in order to examine, in order to explain to the king his dream. This sounds like a great crowd of people. You know, I'll get all the, get all the magic people, all the witches. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will declare the interpretation. And the king answered the Chaldeans, saying, I firmly decree, 
If you do not make the dream and its meaning known to me, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses reduced to rubble. But if you tell the dream and its meaning, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and its meaning. And I remember I was listening to this being read audibly. And that took me by surprise to hear because I had forgotten since I'd last read Daniel that he told them outright, I will tear you limb from limb and I will have your houses destroyed, your families killed. And so, you know, that's part of my question is how do we treat people when we look for answers is, you know, Nebuchadnezzar treats them with contempt. You know, how often do we treat people when we look for answers with contempt? You know, how do we tear people from limb to limb. You know, this year, and having just dealt with uh, people in the medical field this year, I think there's a lot of impatience with the medical field that probably isn't necessarily always warranted. You know, so with, with nurses and with physician, uh, physician's assistants and people who you call at the hospital or the help desk for, you know, whether it's a prescription or something, you know, how often do you tear them limb from limb. And if you don't tell them that outright, how often do you do it in your mind? You know, because again, the heart matters more to God than just what we do on the outside. And even if you keep your mouth contained, if you are screaming at them in your head, it still is not right and still not where your heart needs to be before God. Uh, I can think of this with help desk and customer service. Retail work, probably those people get torn limb from limb daily, probably. Uh, by our words, by our facial expressions, and just by how we, uh, you know, don't put things back if we decide to not buy something at a store. You know, how do we talk to a waiter? How do we talk to people at restaurants? People who are serving us, how do we, you know, if we have a problem with the drink we've ordered, you know, are we, you know, snapping our fingers out, out at them? Or are we, you know, gently asking them when they return, you know, hey, this water that you poured for me needs to be something else. Because the water can be gotten quickly. It's not something that you're going to die waiting on. Uh, you know, you're, you're in a restaurant. You're in a place that has running water and food. It's not something that they can't grab in, you know, three minutes among the other 80 people they're also serving. Uh, so I think, you know, maybe let's be a little more like Pharaoh and not like Nebuchadnezzar when we're dealing and looking for answers from people. Uh, interesting side note, and this is, I will do more because I tend to be more of a teacher. I like to teach people things and facts and information. Uh, sometimes uh, searching out for like principles I can, you know, share with you is not the easiest thing for me. I typically find them as I'm studying to teach. So one of the things I like about Nebuchadnezzar's name is, you know, both of these areas with Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel and Joseph have to do with seeking wisdom and looking for the wisdom that comes from above. Because that's what Joseph and Daniel both do, is they both, that's the, one of the first things out of their mouths when the kings say, you know, hey, I've heard you can interpret dreams. You might need to, I, I need you to help me out with that. And their, their initial reaction is to say, well, it's not me. It's God. It's, it's Hashem. It's the wisdom will come from above. And so I find Nebuchadnezzar's name interesting because it's the Hebrew name or the Akkadian name, Nabu Kaduriusur, which is a very, almost sounds nothing like Nebuchadnezzar. And I was trying to figure out in my head, you know, how does this even sound close 
to what it is. But if you say it, I guess, fast enough, Nebuchadnezzar, it sounds kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. So I guess the translators are correct. Uh, I have to trust them a lot because a lot of these words have fascinating meanings, and I like to believe them uh, while looking for wisdom from above on what to share about names and meanings because sometimes I can get distracted by definitions. And so, you know, it's, his name means Nabu, protect my eldest son, which is the name he would receive from his father. And Nabu is the Babylonian god of wisdom, ironically. These, because, you know, here Nebuchadnezzar, in a very brutal fashion, is seeking out wisdom. He's actually, you know, seeking, you know, heavenly wisdom, you know, the interpretation of a dream. You know, and initially he goes about it the wrong way, but God brings Daniel into his life to be able to interpret this dream for him. And so, you know, both Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar are seeking to understand uh, this wisdom. And, you know, Egypt, it at least results in the salvation of a kingdom. Uh, in Daniel's case, it, you know, elevates him to be able to have an influence in the kingdom uh, of Babylon. And so both kings... Uh, we're initially looking in the wrong places, uh, but so often we also look in the wrong places at first. Uh, and sometimes as we grow older and wiser and more mature and are gleaning the wisdom from above, we begin looking into the right places. You know, Pharaoh and uh, both Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar are both looking at their wise men. They're looking for their magicians. And as we read in this uh, week's Parsha, uh, Joseph's divining cup, which I found particularly interesting, and we talked a little bit in Foundations uh, about, you know, how you know, Joseph probably was not looking into this cup to divine uh, information and wisdom, but that nobility in Egypt would have owned these, and so Pharaoh would have looked to this as something that he uh, would use to divine. So, he, we, it's interesting that you know, Pharaoh has gone beyond his divining cup and his wise men to a Hebrew slave. Uh, so he is truly seeking out the answer to this, which is God's wisdom. And he, and he does deserve a little bit of glory for that, as it says in Proverbs 25. You know, it is the glory of kings to search it out. Both Joseph and Daniel tell them that God has an answer before they say anything else. And I think if we approach life that way, that we know God has an answer before we go any other way, finding answers might would be a little bit easier for us and a little less taxing on our minds and our hearts. Uh, we talked, you know, I, I've heard a lot about uh, you know, Rabbi Shapiro's new book lately, uh, The Best of COVID-19, and that it's, you know, God is sovereign over all. And we agree with this statement, at least intellectually. Because a lot of the times the way our behavior comes about is we end up running around like, you know, oh, I'm worried about this answer and I, I need to know now and you know, I have to find it. And if I don't find it now, I'm, I'm going to worry about it until I do. And that's not the way that God calls us to seek out answers. We should say, it's not in me. It's not in you. God has an answer. And we, through him we will find the understanding we need. And that might include him not answering that particular question but something to stir you away from that question because you may not need that question answered. Joseph and Daniel are both looking to God's wisdom, wisdom from above. So that you know, begs the question of where are we seeking wisdom? Where are we looking 
to answers. Because when we're responding to Hashem and looking for His answer, you know, are we listening to Him? And I find this fascinating that we were talking about this again in Foundations because I'd been thinking about this, you know, throughout the week. How are we responding to His answer? Are we responding to His will as His will and affirming it in how we choose to obey Him? Or are we choosing to manipulate Him and look for our own answer uh, another way or trying to get an answer from God that we really really want that perhaps isn't just isn't the answer we need and you know it reminds me of a story um, and I'll read from Emmaus when it comes for seeking information and seeking answers from God um, I'll read Emmaus here when I go through a little background context that there was a little country church that we had gone to visit one time who had been looking who had been searching for questions about things like Passover you know and Easter and whether or not one should be done or you know as believers you know they understood that you know Yeshua or Jesus did Passover why don't we and so, uh, so they had um, been seeking out these questions seeking these answers and one of their pastoral leaders had met uh, one of the messianic um, one of the men in a congregation that I had been a part of in a Walmart parking lot, you know, in a place you wouldn't expect to find uh, answers, much like Pharaoh would, probably wouldn't have expected to find an answer from a Hebrew slave, that you find, you find an answer in a Walmart parking lot. And so this stirred up a, a brief conversation and friendship, and they contacted the Messianic synagogue in Dothan. And so uh, we, we went to go visit them and to teach on Passover and you know, to show them where Yeshua was in Passover, what he fulfilled in Passover. And so uh, in, in Luke 24, 13, was, Now behold, two of them on that very day were traveling to a village named Emmaus, a distance of about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were speaking with one another about all the things that had been happening. While they were talking and discussing, Yeshua himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then he said to them, What are these things you are discussing with one another as you were walking along? They stood still, looking gloomy. Then the one called Cleopas answered, saying to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Yeshua said to them, What kind of things? And they said to him, The things about Yeshua from Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in deed and word before God and all the people. How the ruling Kohanim and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they executed him. But we were hoping that he was the one about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. Early in the morning they were at the tomb. When they didn't find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said, He is alive. And some of those with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. But they did not see him. Yeshua said to them, O foolish one, so slow of heart, to put your trust in all the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary for Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself and all the scriptures. So I love that, you know, this was the result of that brief interaction from a place, you know, this gentleman did not expect to find answers in a, wa in a Walmart parking lot. And that, you know, after the fact, he ends up having, you know, several people come in to teach them about the beauty of Passover, Messiah in Passover, you know, you know, from the Old Testament. 
And this was a little country Baptist church. And, you know, they, um, you know, oftentimes most churches don't spend too much time in the Old Testament. So, you know, and I remembered, uh, you know, sitting there watching these people. Because I've heard Passover talked about dozens of times. And I still love hearing it talked about. But I took my time to watch these people's faces as they, you know, this was being unveiled to them. This wisdom from above. This wisdom from above. And so it happened later. He was reclining at the table and he took the matzah, offering a bracha, and he breaking it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from them. And they said to one another, didn't our heart burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And I have to say, if you ever have the chance to go sit with people who have never heard about Passover before, or Yom Kippur, or Sukkot, and to hear these things explained to Scripture, explained to them from Scripture, it is one of the most heart-wrenching things to watch, because their eyes are burning with passion. You can see their hearts. You know, these are people who are, you know, much older than I am, but they're, they're seeing this truth that Almost like they deep down kind of knew existed, but weren't quite sure how to phrase it. And finally, you know, someone comes along, someone they did not expect, and explains to them this knowledge using wisdom from above. And just the, you could, the physical body language, the eagerness to which they sat forward and listened as they heard the words of God explain to them the beauty of Messiah and Passover. And, you know, to see that what wisdom from above looks like when it actually hits people uh, is, is something that I will forever be in love with. And, you know, it's one reason why I love this Parsha and how we can look at Daniel and Pharaoh tied into, you know, places like Proverbs and in places like, you know, how it's aligned with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar to pay attention to, you know, they're both brought low, exalted, but people who will humble themselves can be the people who bring wisdom from above. You know, God gives wisdom when we ask for it, but often to ask God for wisdom, we have to be willing to lie low for him. You know, part of lying low means, you know, to treat others like ourselves. Uh, unlike the dynasties of Babylon and Egypt, which would have been, you know, looked down upon, you know, those who were beneath them. They viewed themselves as gods. And so, you know, they, can, they could afford to call the help desk at T-Mobile and be awful to, you know, the people who are, you know, attempting to help them solve the problem and then the people who are trying to give them the answer. You know, they can afford to be, you know, ugly to, you know, the nurse who is trying to, you know, prescribe aid, but in a way that maybe they don't understand. But Daniel and Joseph understood that they had to humble themselves before Hashem, so they could receive the wisdom from above, and so that they could give it to bless the kingdoms that they were in, that they had been taken into. So what are we trusting in? Are we trusting in Hashem, where are we actually trusting in His answer? Are we actually seeking His wisdom by humbling ourselves in prayer and in deed? Now, are we responding in obedience to His will, what He asks us to do? You know, and, uh, you know, Again, you know, and are we taking this to people who may be looking for it but not quite sure where? 
you know, like the little church that I had gone to the one time. There are people out there who want the wisdom from above, but they need someone available to take it to them. And I think this is part of the reason why Yeshua commands us to go out into the world, not the world to come to us, because, you know, jo- you know Joseph and Daniel had the opportunity because of where they were to be brought out. We've been brought out of the world to be sent back in. You know, and that, you know, that doesn't sound like wisdom. You know, the world... I, uh, the world's idea is, you know, if you become a part of something, you stay in it. You latch onto it. You stay there. You don't move. God's wisdom is to pull you in and then to throw you back out with his wisdom and his words and to take them all over the world, making the earth his footstool. So let us humble ourselves, seeking his wisdom for his glory and for the education of the body. Seek the wisdom from above and be humble. Appreciate that, Rabbi Jonathan. Let's all stand. I find it interesting, as Jonathan brought out, the Pharaoh who was considered a king and a god had a problem, and he had to go to someone who was in prison who served a different god to get his answer. And imagine how humiliating that would feel for someone who thought, you know, I'm Pharaoh, I know everything. And having to reach down into prison to get somebody who served another, you know, from the highest to the lowest and go to someone who believed in an entirely different God and religion to get the answer made me think about us and how often we want to think so highly of ourselves that we don't go to those that might have the answer. And if that's the case, just like Pharaoh, we may be serving the wrong God and have to go to somebody who's actually hearing from God to receive his wisdom for our life. May the Lord, may the Lord bless and keep you. May his grace and his face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you Yeah, I'm 
everybody that uh, we have the bat mitzvah next Shabbat and then the no sale yard sale the day after and then we also uh, have just begun uh, raising funds to give the exterior of the building a facelift so uh, information about that is available uh, for everyone if you're a first-time visitor and you filled out one of those visitors cards if directly after service you would just come up and hand that to me, uh, that would be a blessing. Give me an opportunity to meet you personally, possibly answer any questions we caused today. And uh, before I say the ironic benediction in closing, I was wanted to just say how good it is to have Jim and Francis with us this morning. I saw them come in just a little while ago, and what a blessing to see them back with us on Shabbat. Amen. Gather together with your loved ones. Yevarech Adonai ve'yishmerecha. Yair Adonai panavelecha v'chunecha. Yis Adonai panavelecha ve'yasem lecha shalom. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu Sar Shalom. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the Prince.